quite so graciously noted, I have returned, and thank you for that. And it, it is good to be back with you. I think that's a nice and social, actually. And so anytime you have a special event like that, I, I will be here. Um, and uh, it, it is really good to be back. It's been a, a tiring but very enriching summer. Uh, just returned, uh, actually, from a week of vacation. Uh, while I was gone, uh, it seems our team has found a quarterback, and uh, one of my sons got engaged. Uh, so some things are changing, and uh, actually my son got engaged at a cabin where we, we went a third of it up in the mountains, and, and there's this swinging bridge across the river right at the front of the cabin, and that we went out there on that swinging bridge and sat down on his knees, and uh, what a great image for marriage, I think. Uh, but he, uh, it's uh, kind of an adventure. But anyway, so it's, uh, it's good, though, to be back. We're, we're continuing our series of sermons through the Gospel of Luke. It's at the end of the summer, but we're only midway through the Gospel of Luke. And we're in, actually, chapter 12, not 13. So uh, if you're reading along, it's chapter 12. And uh, it, it's a particularly challenging text, one that I struggled with quite a bit while I was away, and, and I invite us together to continue that struggle with the Holy Spirit's help today. Let's listen to God's word. I came to bring fire to the earth, says Jesus, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I'm under until it is completed. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, it's going to be scorching hot today. And it happens. You hypocrites, don't you, don't you know that you, you know how to interpret of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so, a number of months ago, Deanna Studer, our that has not been attempted for a long time here by the youth of this church. We led our senior high on an urban mission trip, breaking the wonderful tradition of going on an annual mission trip in a rural area in the southeast. We will lead more Appalachian service projects in the coming years. 
for this summer, at least, we felt it important to give our youth a different experience. Now, I'm sure God is pleased whenever and wherever the need is served and the least of these are helped. But I'm convinced that God loves the cities of our world. The great metropolitan areas teeming with humanity in all of our glory and grime. When the kingdoms of this earth become the kingdoms of our Lord, there will be a great reversal in our cities. The biblical vision is of a new Jerusalem, dazzling with the brightness of God in her midst, and a river of light running through her. Now, it won't be a river polluted with seeping septic tanks, industrial waste, and chemicals to keep our grass green. It won't be a metropolis divided into geographic areas, paths over here, have not a city where a young store manager trying to begin her life and support herself in a responsible way is gunned down for a few dollars. Or where a young man is executed for playing music too loudly at a gas station. Or where children are deemed accepted collateral damage in the dispute of adults. The kingdom of God, when it God's harmony, God's intended peace and wholeness. I think it may look something like the St. Bernard Project. That's the organization with which we work in New Orleans to rebuild the ruins of homes and lives crushed by hurricane floods, carpet bagging contractors, and decades of staff of the St. Bernard Project, I think we would ask any of you to glance, which are really an idealistic young group of people who believe that their lives are best used as an instrument in the rebuilding of communities that have been struck by disasters. Our roof in New Orleans was oppressively hot and damp. Our two work crews of ten persons each bent into the work day after day, nonetheless. One of the difficult tasks of uh, the home rebuilding is tiling. And I watched with pride as our young people tackled an especially intricate area in which to lay the tile. Day after steamy day, they worked on a project for which they had no previous hair matted with sweat, their shirts soaked all morning, all afternoon, 100 plus degree temperatures. They took no shortcuts, they fell for nothing short in getting it exactly right for that homeowner. They epitomized the attitude of our entire group, our really proud of them. And as I read this couldn't help but think about the tiling. The tiling. F 
after you prepare the surface of tile and measure the pieces and cut them and glue them down, but then the last step is the grouting. You have to fill in the spaces between the tiles. You have to smooth it over. And I was thinking how nice it would be if, if life had something like that, something that could gently skim over the cracks and fissures in my life and fill up all the places that were meant to be filled. I've come to confess that sometimes I like to think about Jesus this way. As someone who tenderly moves across my life, fills it up, heals it, makes it complete, this Jesus is a great God. You, you would want to, to walk to school with him here this week. You'd want to hang out with him. He's sweet and gentle and kind. He's the Jesus with whom we probably enjoy spending time. But as you have already noticed, I'm sure, that there, Lord Jesus, is not uh, present in the text this morning. Instead of being drought, this jackhammer, a crowbar, somebody who breaks apart our mourning and disrupts our lives. This Jesus promises division instead of peace. Families of discord rather than harmony. What in the world are we to do with such a troubling and ominous text? I mean, Jesus, why no peace? We, we need peace. We've got plenty of division. Everywhere I look, I see division. Every sound I hear seems to be a voice of polarization. Families divided, communities divided, worlds. What? Why do we need more division? I don't understand it. I think the key to looking at this troubling and challenging text is that it is a perfect example of why it's so important to understand the particulars in relation to the whole. We can't separate these words of Jesus from all his other words and all his actions. Context is crucial here. Jesus is on a journey to Jerusalem. Hostility is reaching an ever-increasing intensity. The opposition is about to boil over with rage. Jesus knows it. He knows what he's heading into. He wishes it were already over. This baptism of fire and thunder does. It's crunch time for Jesus. Put up or shut up. Do or die. Go all the way with God or pull back to save himself. The stakes could not be higher now, nor the time nor the He uses a meteorological comparison. He says, you see the clouds on your Doppler radar. You can know to the minute when it's going to hit your neighborhood. You know all these things. You have so much technology and knowledge. But do you not see the time of crisis we are in? Do you not realize how important are the And then there's the author 
author of part one, the Gospel of Luke, and part two, the Acts of the Apostles, he has an emerging awareness that martyrdom might be the fate of some Christians. The church was caught in the crossfire of the Jewish revolt against the Roman Empire in 66-70 AD. And thereafter, there was a switch from the synagogue by the church. More and more, it moved away from its roots, or it was forced out, leaving the followers of Christ to make excruciatingly difficult decisions that would put them at odds with their government, with their religion, and sometimes even with their families. I come to bring division, not peace, or as Matthew says, a sword. I come to bring a sword. Jesus is not blessing this state of affairs. He's only being honest with us in naming them. Jesus' words are not prescriptive, as if wielding swords and causing division were God blessed, God intended. Followers of Christ brought, have brought more swords into the world, for sure, whether it's in medieval crusades or contemporary justification of violence, in order to keep peace or restore order. But Jesus' words are not descriptive, they're descriptive. He is describing what he is about to endure. And what are the possible consequences of following him for anyone who wants to come after him? There is a poignant story in the Gospel of John where Jesus comes into a village, he meets a man who's been blind from birth, and of course Jesus heals him. But when the villagers see the man has vision, they ask him how he is healed. Tells them about Jesus. The Pharisees get wind of this. They refuse to believe it. They go around interrogating everyone they can find. The man sticks to his guns and tells them again, Jesus has healed me. So they go around, they go around, and sadly, no one in the village defends the man. Not even his parents. And so John reports that they drove him out. This man was healed and converted to faith in Jesus. He was made whole, and he ended up having to sacrifice his whole relational world. He disliked admittedly that families often fail to be the places of support and nurture that we need them to be. Children can rebel. Parents can be unrelentingly rigid or refuse to support their children. We hurt each other all the time. And sometimes it's the one closest to us whom we hurt most deeply or who hurt us. This is, as I said, a troubling text. It's a part of the section of Luke where Jesus is talking about faithful discipleship. Our scripture lesson this morning is about Jesus' own. Faithful discipleship. And it's the 
just concerned about cause. What it means to cause Christ. If you're a student in high school or middle school, if you're a parent, if you're a business person or a retired person, what does it mean today to follow Christ? God wills for Christians a relationship of faith and trust and an ordering of priorities. Our decisions, our choices matter. And that puts the faith relationship first in our lives. That's something very different than what a perfect church reading of these verses might suggest. So as the summer ends, as many students head back to school, as our schedules become more structured and full, it's a good time to look at gathering clouds, to take stock of our priorities, to see clearly the difference between nominal religiousness and radical discipleship. The vision of the church is very different from the vision of the world. The world is defensive because it believes things must stay, should stay as they are. Our vision is different. We do not fear the change in the world that God will bring. We know that God's will for Shalom will win out. We know God's vision of justice and holiness will win out. And so we need not be fearful. The church is left free to risk That is why we can say at the communion table, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. When he comes, he will come with power, fulfilling all of his promises. Rather than resist these promises, we trust ourselves to them and find ourselves free. Oh Lord, make us instruments of your peace now. Of course, the church So we struggle with containing both in our lives and in our, in our corporate life today. But remember that the gospel affirmation is that the world will be changed. It means that some things that are valued must change, and some feared things must begin. And when the world is changed, our little systems are called into question. God shows us the truth. And when we act on it, we may be hated for it. We practice caring for the whole earth, not because it is popular or bound to succeed, not because we are liberal or conservative or whatever, but because we are faithful vision and life committed to peace. God's shalom is an incredible gift. The peace of God is worth anything to get there. When did he the most demanding 
mission. It is a choice. The world may hate us when we seek its well-being in the same way that it rejected Christ. But Christ has overcome the world. Jesus said, be of good cheer. In the world you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. And so we proceed with confidence knowing that the ruler of this world has no power over us. Maybe this is strange language to use, this idea of power being bad. I believe we live in a world of swords, some in our wallets, some in our words, some in our hearts, and the divisions among us strange savior whose name is broken is the horizon against which the integration of God's salvation shines through. When it is violence that seems so familiar, it is God's peace that is odd enough to save us from the harm. Oh Lord, 